Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Good morning and welcome. Can we give uh, Miranda just a hand again? So grateful for her. Love that chick. So grateful for all she's doing uh, in our church. I want to say welcome to everybody online from wherever you're streaming from. Welcome to everybody who's here. And it's just an honor that we could be here together worshiping in any way we can worship, right? Anything that feels normal. Amen? Go, right? Yep. All right. Hey, so if you want to, if you can, and if you're willing, grab your app, uh, your Bible app, grab your journal, whatever. Uh, We are week four in a series right now. We're calling the series simply what you saw on the screen, Get Your Life Back. And we're talking right now uh, in this series really about our interior lives. We're, we're learning together uh, how it is that we can develop and grow our interior lives, grow our souls. We're learning that uh, in the Bible, in the writers of Scripture, talked a lot about the development of our interior life and that what we develop inside of us is sort of uh, will come out and represent everything that people see on the outside of us, right? So that's kind of what we're looking at. And uh, we are taking to heart, we're learning into, we're digging into the truth uh, behind Jesus' statement that Matthew, the tax collector, recorded in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28. And we're going to look at that together, verses 28 through 30. And I said, we're going to read this out loud the whole series. So every weekend we're going to do that. Matthew 11, 28 through 30, these are Jesus' words. Let's read them out loud. Ready? Go. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So here's the idea. We're kind of digging into this theme, into this verse, uh, a little bit into these words from Jesus, because we think that there's deeper meaning here than just that these would be words that we might, you know, uh, this is what we do, put it on a coffee cup, put it on the back of a shirt, right? And, and, and we want to say that's all well and good, but we think there's something very foundational, uh, if you will, about what God is speaking to us Jesus is speaking to us about the development of our interior lives. And he uses the phrase that we will find in him rest for our souls. And so that's kind of a good thing that we would all aim at that. And so before we go on this morning, I want us to pray. Let's pray and ask God to reveal himself in that. Would you join with me in prayer? Uh, Lord, we're thankful today uh, to be together. Uh, We're thankful today that we can worship you in such a wonderful way. I'm grateful for the team and all these precious people up here that give on a regular basis their talents back to you, that they bless us with their talents. And uh, we're thankful for that, Lord. We're thankful to be in a space where we can open our minds and open our hearts and be reflecting together about your wisdom and your grace coming to bear in our lives. And so, Lord, what we're learning in this in these days to pray together that in this space, we would say, God, we're going to give everyone and everything to you. So Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, this is what we're going to do in this space collectively. We're just going to give everyone to you. We're going to give everything to you. And then we're going to ask that you would give us an ability in this space now to turn our attention to what you may say to us 
in your written word. This we pray in the name of Jesus and for his glory alone. And everyone said, amen. So we're in this conversation. We're talking about the development of our souls. If you're with us last week, we looked at a really important passage of scripture in this journey. We looked at uh, John chapter 15, where Jesus invites the disciples to remain in him. And we know historically, we think that Jesus was in the upper room when he was talking uh, to the disciples, and he was saying uh, these things. And, And one of the things that he said was simply this. He said that he was the true vine, and his father is the gardener. And we learned uh, last week together some important things. We learned that at the end of the day, really, our life is our choice. We get to make choices about the way we live. And Jesus was saying in this incredible passage of Scripture, here's what he was saying. He's not saying he's the only vine. He's just saying he's the true vine. So we have lots of other things that we can get connected to. Be careful about what you get connected to because there's a lot of stuff going on uh, in our world. So we learned that. We learned, secondly, that as a disciple, our life's total orientation uh, should be around moving toward Jesus Christ. I think it was the Westminster Shorter Confession that says this, it is the chief end of man, it is the chief end of humanity to know God and to enjoy him forever. And so part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is we begin to turn our lives, the focus of our lives, not in some weird way, but we turn the focus of our lives toward moving toward the person of Jesus Christ. And then we learned last week, kind of in conclusion, that if we do that, we will develop and catch in our lives the same sort of spirit that we saw represented in Jesus on earth, that our lives will carry a certain rhyme, rhythm, and song. The rhyme is that our lives will begin to model, you know, the, the, the rhythm, the character, the heart, the spirit of Jesus. The, the rhythm would be that we would begin to be like like Jesus in the way he lived. Jesus was never in a hurry, but he was always on time. And he, and, and he teaches us how to, in many ways, this is what the, the essence of the message was last week, we all need to slow down a little. How many of you would, by confession, go, I could probably slow down a little bit? Come on. I mean, even in a pandemic, right? We should probably all sort of work on that a little bit. So today, what I want to do, I want to take us on the next step in what I think is the journey. And we're going to go down into the Old Testament. I want to read a a psalm to you uh, that is one of the most, I think it's one of the most beautiful psalms in in the entire uh, Bible. And it's a psalm of David. It's, It's And the psalms of David are referred to as Davidic psalms. They believe, scholars believe, David, king of Israel, wrote these words that we're going to read. So this is Psalm 19. I'm going to read the whole thing to you, okay? So here's what it says, David's words, Psalm 19. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Now, day after day, they, being the heavens and the skies, pour forth speech night after night, they, being the heavens and the skies, Uh, reveal knowledge. Now they have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world, and the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a, a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens to make its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived 
of its warmth. Isn't that beautiful the way he describes that? Then he, then he turns and he says this, the law of the Lord is perfect. It's refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. He goes on. The fear of the Lord, which is the awe or the respect given to the Lord is pure. It endures forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. And then he says this, they, all these things, are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, honey from the honeycomb. And by them, your servant, he writes, is warned. And by them, in keeping them, there is great reward. And then he says in verse 12, but who can discern their own errors or forgive my hidden faults? Keep your servant also, David writes, from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and these meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, as I was saying, I think these are some of the most beautiful words, really, uh, in Holy Scripture. Really, some of the most beautiful words, I think, that David uh, has ever written. I think maybe it would only, we might take a vote and go, okay, Psalm 23, also a Davidic Psalm, the most popular in all of scripture. Maybe that's, would surmount that and surpass this, but, but, but it's really beautiful words. And like we're saying, this is a Davidic song. Uh, scholars think this was the prayer book. The Psalms were the prayer book of the early church. So it, it quite it might be possible that Jesus, when he walked on the face of the earth, that he prayed some of these prayers. He prayed prayers from the Psalms that David had written. So this comes to us in a very, very uh, a powerful way. And it gives to us a picture, if you will, of how people in David's day and in David's time viewed their relationship with God, and it gives us clues, if you will, how to do the same thing. And I want to point something out to you for those of us who are going to push a little bit deeper this morning, and for those of you that are interested, here's what I want to draw your attention to. The first six verses of this psalm are about God's work in creation, namely this, how God reveals himself in creation, okay? And we sometimes refer to this, scholars refer to this as natural revelation or, or general revelation. In other words, this, there's something going on in the world that if we tune into it just the right way, we can sense, feel, know, and even this, understand God's presence, okay? That's what David's pointing at. Then we get to the, the, the next five verses, uh, or beginning at verse seven, I think. And they, uh, talk to us about God's law as revealed, uh, in his word. And, uh, we sometimes refer to this, so you're going to impress all your friends later, as specific revelation or, or, or special revelation. In other words, God is saying some things in the universe that are generally reveal who he is. 
But God says also some things in his word that give us specific insight, right, about how we should live. And this is really important. And these two things are not normally uh, brought together. And so I thought really what I want to do today, uh, my assignment, I think, is to bring them together, help us understand them a little better. And then before I send you out, I'm going to give you a challenge. I'm going to give you an assignment. Okay, so you're going to get homework today. You thought, man, I picked the wrong day to come. Okay, and so this is what we're doing. And, and, and here's what I want to do to really point at this uh, and, and talk about these subject areas. Uh, I, I want to begin in kind of a reverse order. I want to begin where I think most of us begin whenever we come to church. We think about the Bible. And I don't mean that in any disrespect, of course. So I want to, I want to begin with what is what we most often think about in this space, which is God's word. So we're going to begin in, in verse seven. And, and because this is so beautiful, I think it's beautiful. Anybody else think it's beautiful? Two of us. Awesome. I'm going to read it again. Okay. Beginning at verse seven, listen real carefully what he says. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect. It brings refreshing to the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. They make wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. They give joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord, well, they're radiant. They give light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure. It endures forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They're they're more precious than gold. They're sweeter than honey, and by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So before... We zoom out. I want to zoom in and let's talk about God's word for a moment. And, and here's what I want to tell you. In, in the English translation of the Bible that we just read from, uh, th- th- we use the word law. David talks about the law. And the word really is a translation, if you will, of the Hebrew word, which is the word Torah. And the Hebrew word, okay, follow me on this, the Hebrew word, Torah translates this way, guide, teach, instruct, or be driven by. And when I hear that, and so here's David saying all these things, the law, the statutes, precepts, commands, fear, and decrees are really things that guide, teach, instruct, and that are, uh, they drive, they're, they're things that are driven, that we drive by. And it points to the question that all of us are going to have to answer in our lives at one point, which is, what will my life, listen now, be established on? What is the direction of my life? Now, it's deeper than this, you guys, which is, we ask a lot in our culture, what are we going to do with our lives? You get two guys together, you go to a party, they don't know each other. You know, we tend to shake hands. We used to. Now we fist bump, do all this weird, awkward, you know, kind of stuff, right? And, uh, but we used to, and then the, the very next question out of a, a, a one man's mouth to another man, tell me what you what do. And, 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 and this is a deeper question than what are we, what are we going to do with our lives? I remember when I was growing up, some of you maybe remember these sort of things. I wanted to be a ba- professional baseball player. I did play a lot of baseball growing up. And I wanted to be a, I thought I'm going to be a professional baseball player until I got to high school. And one of my coaches said, you're not going to be a professional baseball player. Okay. And I remember learning about that. And then I thought, well, right then in that time, I was also learning how to play the guitar. 
And I thought, well, that's all right. I don't want to be a professional baseball player. I, I, I want to be a rock musician. Until I was taking lessons and the guy said, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to be a rock, a rock musician. And I decided, well, I'm going to go into ministry. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Relax. You know? There's a deeper question going on in this moment than that David, I think, is pointing to than simply what are we going to do with our lives. He's asking this. What are our lives going to be driven by? What, what, what are going to be the guiding posts? if you will, of our lives. And and here's what I want you all to know. This is probably the biggest existential question we're ever going to answer in our lives. And I think all of us have to muster the courage, stand up, and we have to ask ourselves, I mean, what what is my life going to be characterized by? And and, and once it's being characterized, what, what are the things that my life is going to be measured up against. I mean, I think everybody's wanting to know this. What is the meaning of life? I was thinking about this, and I remember a a book that really hit the airwaves uh, in 2002 uh, that really asked this question. It was a book by Rick Warren. Maybe you've heard of it called The Purpose Driven Life. How many of you have ever heard of that book, right? Okay. By the time that book was a decade old, 80 million people had bought and read it. 80 million. That's 80 with, I think, six zeros behind it. So here's the thing I want you to know. That's a big question. We're all trying to figure out uh, what is going to be guiding our lives. Um, He tells a fascinating story in the book, by the way. He tells a story about a guy named Hugh Moorhead, who was a, a doctor, and uh, uh, he was a philosophy professor at Northeastern University. I think that's in Illinois. And Dr. Moorhead reaches out to over 250 philosophers and scientists, writers, and intellectuals of the day. And he asks them a simple question, what is the meaning of life? And he publishes these responses in a book. And in fact, I can show you the picture of the book. These are all the responses. He writes 250 people. They write him back. And here's what I found fascinating. Dr. Moorhead said, uh, many offered their best guesses. Some admitted they had made a, a purpose up for the life to just mail to Dr. Moorhead. And the braver among the 250 readily admitted, listen, they were completely clueless as to what is really the meaning of life. And here's what I think is fascinating. Listen to this. Across a length of time after Dr. Moorhead wrote to these 250 different intellectuals in all these different fields, Many of the 250 wrote back confidentially, and they asked Dr. Moorhead to write back and tell them when he discovered it, what is the meaning of life? This is a question. And here's what I think. I think we're all asking it. And and what I want to point out to you this morning or this weekend, this is the kind of question that King David is bringing into the surface and into the room. He's saying this, all of our lives are going to be measured by something. And and like we said last week, you actually get to choose what your life is going to be measured against. David, like so many others, would say this, choose well around that. It's interesting 
Rick Warren, in, in his book, goes on to say this. I have discovered, he writes, that everyone's life is driven by something. I think he's right. He says, most dictionaries define the word drive as to guide, control, or direct. It sounds like the word Torah, doesn't it? And so the question ultimately becomes, what is the driving? What will be the driving force of my life? It may be a problem or a pressure or a deadline. Maybe it's a painful memory or a haunting fear or an unconscious belief. Maybe it's guilt or resentment or anger or fear or materialism or sexual pleasure or approval. We are all driven by something, but we must balance that question with the other important thing Jesus said about this, which is ultimately no one serves two masters. So here's a simple question. What will be the driving, guiding force of your life? It's the most important existential question you're going to answer, and nobody gets a pass. Because here's here's the interesting thing. If you choose not to answer, look at this. You answered. If you choose not to answer, you answer. And so this is the question that I think uh, David is uh, bringing uh, into the room. And this is the interesting thing. The Bible presupposes this very thing. That's why we call the Bible special revelation. And the Bible presupposes of itself an interesting thing, that when you read it, listen to me, y'all, you get guidance. When you take it to heart, you get instruction. You get wisdom that you can't get anywhere else simply because the Bible and the Bible's writers presuppose that reading God's word provides the guideposts that point toward the meaning of life. It would almost be, if I could say it in a more pedestrian way, if you want to know the meaning of the invention, we should all take a moment to ask the creator. Amen? Years ago, I read a story. I don't know if I've shared it. I can't remember. Maybe I've shared it. It's a story of a guy by the name of Charlie uh, Steinmetz. He was called the Wizard of Schenectady. I don't know if you've ever heard this story. He was a guy that, uh, he was a German born, he was born in Breslau, and he was a German born uh, mathematician and mechanical electrical engineer. Very bright guy, he had some physical infirmities. In fact, he was only four feet tall. He was a very unique human being. In fact, let me show you a picture of him. This is how he'd get around town. That's an ostrich, I think. And uh, he got connected with a guy by the name of Henry Ford. Ever heard of Henry Ford? And uh, Henry Ford was developing a way to mass produce automobiles, and he used Charlie Steinmetz's uh, generators on on the line. And Charlie Steinmetz helped our world really understand the power that could be harnessed in alternating current. And there's a fascinating story that kind of points to the creator, you know, created kind of thing. When one afternoon, um, the, 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 uh, ing- the generators at, on the line at, at the Ford Motor Plant went down. And these were the generators that Steinmetz put in there, and they were broken. And so uh, Ford reaches out to Steinmetz, and he says, your generators aren't working. 
come fix them. And Steinmetz was a very, like I said, very peculiar man. He shows up at Ford Motor Plant, and he, and he goes and he begins to walk the line. He just walks back and forth. He walks all next to all the generators, all the line, and finally reaches into this really disheveled uh, leather bag, and he pulls out this huge piece of chalk, and he goes over to one of the generators, and he writes an X on it, puts the chalk back in the bag, walks out, never says a word. Gets back to Schenectady, uh, where he's from, and he writes uh, and sends a bill to Henry Ford for $10,000. And Ford objects. He says, like, I'm not like $10,000. You, you were here five minutes, and you, um, you just put an X on a piece of machinery and walked out. And, and Steinmetz writes him back, and he says, putting an X on a piece of machinery, $1.00. Knowing where to put the X, $9,999. He was pointing out exactly where it was broken, and, and Ford paid the bill. That's like 250 grand in today's money. If, if you want to know about the created, why you're created, and the design behind your creation, you ask the creator. And here's, here's what the Bible presupposes. It presupposes that when you read it, it'll give you cues and clues. In fact, let me show you two other examples. I think this is Psalm 119.105, also a Psalm of David. He writes this, your word, O Lord, it's a lamp for my feet. It's a light for my path. Paul, when he was writing, I think about a similar context, says this in Colossians chapter 1. Look at this. He says, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. All things have been created through him, he writes, and all things are created for him. One of the other translations, uh, really, of this uh, idea uh, is this. Everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. You're going to have to answer that question. And the Bible gives special revelation to help you discover that. Now, here's what I want to do. We just zoomed in. Before I'm done, I want to do this. Let's zoom out. And now let's go back to the beginning of Psalm 19. And I want to draw something else uh, into your attention Real quick, David writes in Psalm 19, beginning in verse 6, this is where I think all the beauty comes. He says, it's the heavens that declare the glory of God. It's the skies that proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Here's what he's saying. He's saying his very creation gives us insight into the God of creation. And, and I want to just say, I never want to miss an opportunity to do this. Is, this is on point. It's a, little, it's a little disconnected from the point, but I always want to make it uh, 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 an important thing whenever I see it within a text. David is bringing two things together we don't normally bring together. In fact, these are two things that we normally think are at war with one another. And because I have a lot of conversations with people, it comes up every now and again. That's the subject of faith and science. 
the subject, the idea that, that if, I, if I have a dev, devout faith, I have to step away from scientific evidence. Or if, I have, if, I, if my mind is more reasoned toward a scientific method, then I can't really embrace faith. I want us to step away from that narrative. We live in a culture right now in our world where we have become so tribalized, right? We only listen to who we want to listen to. We only want to talk to people that we agree with. And, and here's what I even think is worth we, we take all the, all the complexities of our world, everyone, and we boil it down to 150 characters. And those of us who are reasonable think this, life ain't that simple, is it? Praise God, right? It's just not. And sometimes when we see this, you know, I, I just always want to point out because I, I have some friends and, and their brain, you know, I've got the faith brain, they'll tell me sometimes, and they'll go, you know, you got the faith brain, and I got kind of the science brain, and they're different. And I want to say to them, no, it's, no, they're not. And one of, the, one of the big arguments about the existence of God happens right here. This is the fault line right here in Psalm 19, where we get the issue of, of, of God and creation. And namely, does, does creation point itself to the existence of a God? And David is saying, it does. It actually does. Years ago, I was reading uh, the words of a man by the name of Rodney Stark. He wrote a book called The Victory of Reasons. And this is what Rodney Stark says. He says, um, it's not an accident that real science arose only at one time and only in one place, at the end of the Middle Ages in Europe, within the context of a Christian worldview that saw nature, that saw nature as the product of a rational God. And that therefore to explore that with the expectation of finding unity and order in a way to know and glorify God that made sense. He goes on to say this was the very ecosystem needed to create the scientific method. And the giants of that enterprise, he goes on, Newton, Galileo, Kepler, Descartes, saw nature as a book written by God and that science was actually a way to get to know God better and that what it was not was a cyclical process that never led to anything. The heavens declare the glory of God. Praise God for that. You know, um, what, what I think is a real temptation maybe is not that we struggle to believe if we have a science mind. Can I tell you the big issue I see? We don't get outside enough. We don't. In fact, uh, John Eldridge writes this in his book. He said, listen to this, y'all. I was challenged by this. The average person spends 93% of their life indoors. This includes time and transportation in your sealed bubble. He writes, it means that if you live to be 100, you're going to spend 93 of those 100 years in a little compartment and seven only outside in the dazzling living world God created and speaks to us in. We all live our lives, he said, really, in a fake atmosphere. Artificial lighting instead of warmth and sunlight or the cool of moonlight or the darkness of light itself. Artificial climate rather than the real wild beauty of real weather, our world becomes a perfect 68 degrees with a dull hum of the HVAC system running in the background. 
We just need to get out. If, if my message last week was slow down, and it was, if you missed it, here's what I, here, here let me summarize, slow down. <laughs> you know what my message is this week? Get outside. Get outside. Uh, the other night, we were in our backyard. We live on a preserve. And, and right now, have you guys noticed the skies right now? Have you been noticing the skies? Holy camoly, right? Um, I remember, I don't, I don't remember the author who said the skies are the beauty of God's creation. They're the extras that God gives to us simply because he loves us. And I took a picture. This is our backyard looking out. Isn't that awesome? There it is. And I've been trying to get out. Years ago, I've been doing this other thing too. Years ago, I, uh, we put a nine-hole disc golf course on our property to play disc golf. And I, I, be, I play with a group of guys, and um, we did this for years. And then for some reason, we just quit. Like, we all got too busy. We all got too important, and we quit. So I text them all uh, that are still around. At the end of the year, I said, we're going to start disc golfing again on Wednesday. So we play Wednesdays at 4. So if you want to join us, I come out. I'll beat you. It's Wednesdays at 4. <laughs> and um, I want to show you. Here's a picture of my guys. There, there we are on Wednesday afternoon. And uh, this is the, my group, my little Motley crew. And then Jim uh, there over on the right, here he is. Here's another picture. I want to show you Jim. Here he is in the ditch. <laughs> Doesn't that just look wonderful? Here are my guys. Here's, here we are in another picture. Here we are with Bernie Sanders. <laughs> I just need y'all to know. I need y'all to know, the laughing does me so good. My wife, all week long, I told her what I was going to do. She was like, do not do that. I said, I'm doing it. So thank you for the laugh. Send the hate mail to her, by the way. Um, Anyhow, listen to this before we close. Listen to this. John Eldridge writes, the beauty of nature reassures us it reassures us, especially important here, that the grace and beauty offered to us in our life with God, and we need reassuring. The beauty of nature reassures us that goodness is still real in the world, more real than harm, more real than scarcity, more real than evil. Beauty reassures us that abundance, especially that God is absolutely abundant in goodness and in this life. Beauty reassures us There is plenty of life to be had, and it reassures us that the end of God's story is a good one, right? It's like we see this precious little baby, and we see all the good in the world, right? Um, Listen to this. George Washington Carver says, I love to think of nature as an unlimited broadcasting station through which God speaks to us every hour if we will but take the time to listen. Mother Teresa says, we need to find God and we cannot find him in noise and restlessness. God is the friend of silence. See how nature, trees, flowers, and grass all grow in silence. See the stars and the moon and the sun, how they move in silence. It's in the silence and beauty of nature that we are able to touch our souls and touch God. And Frank writes, the best remedy for those who are afraid, lonely, or unhappy is to simply go outside somewhere where they can be quiet and alone with the heavens, nature, and the Lord. 
Because only then can one feel that all is as it should be, that God wishes his people to be happy amidst the simple beauty of his natures. And as long as this exists, and she writes, and it most certainly always will, then I know that there will be comfort for every sorrow. Whatever the circumstances may be, I firmly believe that nature brings solace and the presence of God to all of our troubles. Get outside. Lord, um, you're speaking. You're speaking in nature. You're speaking in your word. And you want to speak to us. Here we are, your servants. We're listening. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I told you I was going to give you some homework. Here's the homework, okay? Two things. So when you leave here today, when you leave our campus, this is, this is my challenge. I want you to drive to your next location with the windows down. Okay? Now, I know some of you pretty ladies are like, I'm going to get my hair messed up. Who cares? Okay? Drive with the windows down. Got it? Then, then, when, notice I didn't say if, when you are out in the beauty of God's creation this week, right, we live in a beautiful place in God's world, and you see something beautiful, I want you to snap a picture, you can tag COH in it, or you can share it, just info at Commute of Hope, all right? And let's capture some of the images of what, listen, what God is saying to us in his creation. Go in his grace and his goodness. We'll see you next weekend. Thanks, God.